0: I M P E A C H M E N T. Do you know what that means? Or whatever we'll be saying. Hey, girls and guys, I'm Brandy with an eye, and this is Did You Hear the News? While all the world watched most of this week, the impeachment proceedings and the trial for the former president, our current president was continuing to put in the work and pretend like he was not at all concerned about what was going on with said impeachment. President Biden wanted everyone to understand that he was laser focused on continuing to fight for the COVID relief bill to also make sure that he was rolling back any bad policies from the previous administration he announced that their administration would be stopping the policy in which immigrants or asylum seekers would be stuck in Mexico until their cases could be reviewed he was also going to start reviewing the cases that you know the immigration teams had already received uh, He was just working, working, working. Of course, the COVID relief bill is still in the works in an effort to show that they really could walk and true gum at the same time. The House committees set to work on each portion of the relief bill that's going through reconciliation at the time, even wrapping up the portion that covers the relief checks and the child care taxes and the $15 minimum wage. So if you recall last week, Things were kind of in the uproar because President Biden gave a interview in which he said he did not believe that the COVID relief bill would include the $15 minimum wage. A lot of people were upset with that, mainly progressives, because they felt like he was giving up. But Bernie Sanders said, hey, we're going to fight this thing until we can't anymore. I have lawyers working on this to prove that raising minimum wage is actually a budget item to prove that once you raise the minimum wage, especially at a time like this, it will stimulate the economy. So apparently whatever he did worked because the parliamentarian uh, decided to include it in the COVID relief bill. Here's the problem. Those pesky, moderate Democrats. Kirsten Cinema, and Joe Manchin have said that they will not support a COVID relief bill with minimum wage increases in it, the bill. To which I have to ask, like, why do y'all hate poor people? Kirsten Cinema said that she didn't believe that minimum wage is a budget item. Therefore, it shouldn't be in the bill. but. Bernie has already done the work with the lawyers to prove that it is a budget item and it's been approved to be put in the budget. So what's your real reason? Why is it not enough that almost a million people will be brought out of poverty or above the poverty level if we raise the minimum wage? What is the issue with raising the minimum wage over a few years. Like you gotta know that it's not gonna be done immediately. I mean, Joe Manchin also brings up the fact that it's gonna cause a job loss and and raising minimum wage right now at this time is not the best, but that's the thing. You're not raising the minimum wage right now. It won't be $15 immediately. It's gonna be gradual. So what is the problem you know that your constituents need this money. $725 for a minimum wage is not a livable wage. $15 is not even enough. If we adjust for inflation, it should be upwards of $20. So, what is the problem with giving these people something that they can use so that they can actually live? Just a $2,000 stimulus check. Is hours and hours and hours at a 725 minimum wage job. And you're fighting over giving them that. I am disgusted. I really can't even believe at this day and time anyone would be against a minimum wage. When you're talking about raising the wages for people who work 40 hours. And over, pay these people what you owe them. It's not an excuse to say it's going to get rid of jobs. What good is there if there are jobs where people can't even live? What it's probably going to do is eliminate that second and third job that that person had to have. So now this person doesn't need four or five jobs anymore. They have one job that they can make a pretty okay living off of. So maybe somebody else can get their second or third job. Did you think of it like that, Joe, Kirsten? (sighs) So that's where we are with the minimum wage increase. I hope that they can find it deep down in their cold hearts to approve that as part of the relief bill when people need relief. President Biden has also made it uh, a point to work with HUD to make sure that people are not being discriminated against because of their sexual preference and or um, their sexual identity, such as transgender people, which I think is excellent. I don't even understand why someone would be discriminated against as far as housing when it comes to their sexual preference. But once again, this is the world we're living in. Like a lot of things this week are just perplexing to me. By the end of July, that's 2021, folks. The end of July, 2021, the United States should have enough vaccine to vaccinate all adult citizens, which yay. I mean, that's perfect. Wonderful. Now let's talk about how we're going to get them into arms because apparently that's not been going too great. And if you're like me in the state of Florida, you know that it's a struggle to get a vaccine. I saw a picture this week of a woman who had a seven different laptops just trying to get a appointment in Florida. And I think that's insane. So I don't know if that's also uh, a part of this COVID relief bill is the strategy to get these vaccines into people's arms, but we just need to get this bill passed fast, quick, fast in a hurry so that we can get this thing started. I know that the NFL commissioner has agreed to allow every stadium be a a mass vaccination site. So Go ahead and pass the bill, y'all, so we can get it popping so that we can get these children back in schools because that has been just a dumpster fire trying to determine what the guidelines are for getting children back into school. I know that teachers and administrators were very upset um in the past week when the C D C director said that she didn't think it was a prerequisite for teachers to get vaccines to go back to school. Now, I can kind of understand maybe what they were saying. With the proper protocols in place, a teacher would not need to have a vaccine. However, we know that in a lot of places, the proper protocols are not being used. And we know that a lot of places don't have the money for said protocols. So get that relief bill out. I'm sick of it. I'm sick of I'm just sick of waiting on everything. Like get the relief bill out. I'm tired. (laughs) Everybody's tired. We're all tired. So we can get these vaccines. At this point I'm just gonna have to camp out to see if I can get me a, a vaccine because it's it's crazy out here in the street. So That's what the administration has been working on this week. They had a little bit of drama that we will get in later on in the show. But for the most part, Joe is trying to work as hard and as fast as he can to get these things done. But unfortunately, he needs a Congress that was a little bit preoccupied this week. So with that being said, I want to go ahead and jump into my roundtable for the week and I'm very excited about this one as well. Today I'm joined by Chelsea Locklear and Tony McNeil. Chelsea was raised in my hometown Pembroke, North Carolina and is a member of the Lumbee tribe. By day she is a business analyst for a private credit fund and by night she's a dreamer and schemer planning her next Passion Project. She is the co-host of the Red Justice Project, a true crime podcast focused solely on missing and murdered indigenous stories. Chelsea received her bachelor's from North Carolina State University and an MPA from UNC Chapel Hill. Go Tar Heel! Tony grew up in southeastern North Carolina. He's always had an interest in politics. The fondness of politics has not wavered even during the wake of the previous administration, as he attributes it to an opportunity to further inform himself of government and policy. Outside of day-to-day activities, he is deeply committed to service and can be found leading or assisting with opportunities to help marginalized groups, specifically Black and Brown communities. So thank you guys so much for joining me on Did You Hear the News today? uh, We have a lot of crazy news going on. As per usual, I feel like I say that every single week because there's just not any downtime. So we're going to go ahead and get started. And our first topic we're going to discuss is the recent reporting about the deputy um, press secretary, I think it is, for the Biden administration. He's been suspended for a week with no pay because he um, threatened, actually, a a reporter from Politico, if I'm not mistaken. He threatened her, said that he was going to destroy her, and he also uh, made some sexist remarks to her, apparently because she was going to report on a relationship that he has with another reporter for Axios. Um, so I guess he got wind of the fact that she was going to report on their relationship and he was upset about that. For me, I'm a little confused on the the actual timeline of it. I understand that. Apparently, when she when they started having a relationship, possibly, you know, she made it known that, hey, I'm dating someone on the administration and they decided to move her from white, like White House detail to I think Kamala's like um detail so i don't know if what he did was necessary i mean at that point or if if even reporting about it was necessary i guess i want to get you guys take on it like i mean we saw that biden said no one is going to get away with like disrespecting other people. I saw on Twitter that people were kind of splitting hairs about the fact that he said colleagues and she wouldn't technically be one of his colleagues. So like, what do you feel about that?
1: I feel like at this point, that's semantics. I believe that, you know, even though there is a Democrat in office, That same amount of pressure that we applied to Trump and those same expectations that we had, we have those same expectations of Biden. Biden preaches a lot about President Biden, I'm sorry. He preaches a lot about decency. We've seen this weekend with, you know, uh, First Lady Jill Biden placing the hearts with words on the White House line. These are words, you know, of decency affirmations. With that being said, if you're defining culture and setting expectations from day one and saying that there you're not tolerating any type of, um, you know, behavior that is not of decency, you should, you know, follow through with that.
0: So I guess my question is, you know, what do you think should be the next best steps? Like, set it and forget it, get rid of them, bring someone in or... You know, keep him, hope that he has learned his lesson and then just trying to move on from it.
2: You know, for me, I would just keep him and just try to move on. But I definitely wouldn't deny Politico access. Um, You know, I think that they are a pretty credible news source and I actually enjoy reading a lot of Politico articles. So I think I would see not having them having access to him as a punishment for um, the company itself, which I don't think is fair at all.
0: Agreed. Agreed. We will move on to our next topic because I think it's been very interesting. We've noticed a lot of uh, Asian American actors and actresses using their platforms to talk about the uptick in uh, violence against Asian Americans. Uh, very recently, there was an incident where an elderly Asian American man was attacked and killed. Mm-hmm. Um, out in the streets, you know, just walking, minding his business. And unfortunately, I I definitely think it's due to the rhetoric of the former president who made a very specific point to misname COVID or coronavirus and refer to it as the China virus or the Kung flu, which is... Just so annoying in so many ways, but I definitely think that it's that rhetoric that is leading to this, especially because we're already seeing an uptick of you know violent extremism anyway. What are you guys' thoughts on that?
2: Um, I'd say first, I was really happy to see that you know Kamala actually made a statement yesterday, you know, as someone who is Black and Asian American, I thought it was really important for her to kind of take those steps to call out the xenophobia that we're seeing happen. I mean, I've seen some of the videos of the Asian American elders like being attacked like you said Randy like the 84 year old who was just pushed in San Francisco or Oakland and um, you know eventually he died from that I mean it's really crazy and like for me as an indigenous person when I started seeing the you know things shared on social media like on Instagram from Asian activists about you know what's going on you know I really had to take a step back and think about you know for me, like, I do try to support things like Black Lives Matter and share when I can, but what am I ever doing for the Asian American community? Um, Because I think a lot of times we see them as that myth of the model minority, you know, they don't need any help, they're good. You know, I'm like, as an Indigenous person with Black friends, I'm going to help my Black friends. But I think that, you know, it really made me become really retrospective in the last couple weeks, like, Asian American history, like, we don't learn a lot about that in school, just like I, we don't learn about indigenous history or troop-like history um, in America. Like, you know, we don't learn about Japanese internment camps during World War II uh, that were here. And so I think it's come to a point over all of these decades that we're just allowing this xenophobia to rise and Trump just kind of once again was able to just like catapult it to a new level, which I think is crazy. So I think for me as an indigenous person, like it's definitely time for me to stand up and get my community to stand up and say, you know, this isn't right for any community to deal with this uh,
1: this type of behavior. So well says, Chelsea, I completely agree with that. I believe that as minorities, we don't have the luxury to turn a blind, blind eye when something happens to anyone. If we're saying that my life matters, my black life matters, these lives matter as well. These Asian lives matter. And so um, I have a lot of Asian friends who I deeply care for. And I want to make sure that, you know, I'm drawing awareness as much as I can, whether it's posting through social media or just, you know, informing people who I'm speaking with of what's occurring, um, because it seems like it's not even just isolated to California. There have been a lot of incidents in California, but there have also been incidents in New York and other markets in other cities as well. So we definitely need to get the word out there. Any type of assault or targeting that happens, racial targeting that happens, like we definitely need to make sure that you know we are helping the cause, drawing awareness, and making sure that our fellow Americans are safe,
0: right? Agreed. And I do recall, uh, so I think it was during election season. CNN has a reporter; she's Asian Amer- American, and she discussed basically like two or three incidents she had in the same trip of people just coming up to her and being completely racist like asking her, does she speak English or like saying stuff like ching-chong or stuff to her, like really ridiculous stuff. And at that time, I felt like it didn't compute. Like around election time, I was just anxious about everything. But I, I don't think that it computed for me that like this is something that is has begun happening like widespread. But it, it was insane to me, the fact that she was like, At three different times in the airport or like while she was traveling, she experienced some sort of racism to the point where like her production team or whatever, who was with her had to kind of stand up for her because she was being harassed by someone in the airport. And I thought that was kind of wild. And I have to do this. like, I have to make the connection that all lives matter, obviously, is just a racist like dog whistle is just a way to say that no lives matter because if all lives matter then you wouldn't have a problem with black lives matter but you also wouldn't have a problem standing up for other minority lives as they are facing injustices and things like that but I mean I think you've noticed that it's never really people who understand Like the plight of minorities and, and what they might be going through that are quick to say all lives matter. I feel like it's normally those white Americans who feel like they're always being left out because for some reason they feel like the minorities are always getting the better end of the stick, which is crazy if you even know a little bit of U.S. history. So completely agree. Yeah. Yeah, it's just it's just really wild to kind of see, like you said, Chelsea, how the kind of switch. Of course they endured terrible things during um the Japanese internment camps and all of that. And they have kind of flipped that as the model minority, but now it seems like that's kind of flipping again because of the racist rhetoric of the past four years and A commander-in-chief who just was super reckless with his words, who used dog whistles all the time. And people try to gloss over it and don't make excuses and say, well, he didn't really say that. But when you ask a person, do they denounce white supremacy and they can't straight up say no, then everyone is drawing the same conclusion, even the white supremacists. So- With that being said, I think that's a perfect way to segue into impeachment. Impeachment. (laughs) This week, you know, the news cycle has been completely enthralled with this impeachment drama. And we all know that the former president was impeached on one article, which was incitement to a riot, which I feel like we all saw happen. We all knew would happen after watching him the past five years. And it's just been a a really crazy time watching this trial because it's like the impeachment managers have laid out a very compelling case. So to begin with, they started on the first day with the constitutionality of the case. And we know that that only came into question because of the fact that he was impeached a week after, but there was a hold up because the Senate was out of chambers or whatnot. Uh, Mitch McConnell very specifically said, I'm not going to call the Senate back. You can send those articles, but there's not going to be anyone there to receive them. Then we had to wait. And then we had a 50-50 Senate. And Then we had to work with the other side to say, okay, well, we won't do it immediately. We'll wait two weeks. And it was just so frustrating to me to see them use basically the fact that the former president is out of office now as an excuse for not even holding a trial or for the impeachment itself not being constitutional. When he was in office, when he was impeached, and it could have been taken up while he was still in office, but one leader made sure that it didn't. And now they're using it as a scapegoat, basically.
1: I wonder who that leader could be.
0: Addison Mitchell McConnell. That's who. (laughs) No longer the majority leader. He's the minority leader now. It feels so
2: good to say minority in that context.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. So the first day was them, uh, basically, the impeachment managers arguing why it was constitutional. And I don't even know what the defense did. I just know that they were there because it was terrible. And I was watching it like, this is terrible, but maybe I don't understand how this works. But then as soon as it was over, everyone else was like, that was the worst thing I've ever seen.
2: Yeah. And I think it's I think it's interesting, everything that's happened over the past few days. And I'm actually surprised of like the results today of actually them now allowing for witnesses. I don't know what y'all think about that. And I was really surprised to see old Lindsey Graham had actually voted <laughs> no and then switched to yes for allowing witnesses.
0: So apparently, they, both sides agreed on, they have to, like they agree on the, the rules and how everything is going to work. So both sides understood that they would have the constitutionality vote and then they would have, each side would have two days, eight hours each day to make their case. The impeachment managers use like 12 to 14 hours of their time and the uh, defense used like three hours of their time because they already feel like they've won, Right. It's very clear. We shouldn't even be having an argument over the constitutionality of it. But if 45 uh, Republicans are going to vote that it's not constitutional, then you can kind of almost assume they're not going to vote to convict. So at this point, the defense is like, we've already got this in the bag. So they brought the most ridiculous defense. I was like, if I hear fight again, In another video, I'm going to lose my mind. Like it was insane watching. She came on and she was like, I got word that we have a House uh, congresswoman who explicitly on the record said that she heard that Kevin McCarthy called Donald Trump and said, hey, we are in trouble. Like they're trying to take us out. We need help. And Donald Trump basically responded with, well, maybe they care more about the election than you do. And that just incensed Kevin McCarthy, who responded back with like, who the F do you think you're talking to? I just thought it was compelling to hear that and to them to actually have a name of a Senator who was willing to go on the record because we had already heard from his defense team that like he basically didn't know that anybody was in danger or they weren't sure, which I thought was crazy because it was like, you know, he's your client, right? You could have asked him, Mm -hmm. but I think they probably were like, well, if we do ask them, we're probably not going to like the answer that we get. (laughs)
1: the Republican party is just messy. Like the fact that now this potential Congresswoman can be called as a witness, therefore it one, it's going to make McCarthy come forward and establish credibility, whether or not that's true. He's going to have to whether or not that's true. And in your own party, there's just so much like divisiveness at this point. Like, you know, you have her taking copious notes um, you have you know, McCarthy with this other narrative and then you have Ted Cruz and you have Lindsey Graham who are colluding with Trump's lawyers. So it's just so much going on right now. It's just like, what is going on with this party? Like,
0: Yeah, Chelsea, what did you think when so <laughs> the the senators are supposed to be impartial jurors like they take an oath just like normal jurors do. They're supposed to be impartial, but then you hear that, I think it was Ted Cruz, um, Senator Lee, and I can't remember the third guy. But they basically met with um, the the defense team. And I'm like, why would we ever think that this is going to be fair when we have senators who are actually working with... Graham,
2: Lee, and Cruz, right? Right,
0: Graham, I thought so. I knew it had to be one of those other ones I despised.
2: That's why I was saying, I think it's funny that at first he was like, no to the witnesses. And then it was like, yes. I'm like, what part of this scheme is? Because I do not have any respect for Lindsey Graham. I think he is so <laughs> shady. So uh, very. So very shady. He can stay down there in South Carolina. We do not need him up here in North Carolina ever visiting. <laughs> um, and, you know, I just think it's so interesting. And there are so many people, I think. You know, as a person living in the South where, you know, I'm surrounded by majority Republicans, I'm like, do you see the division within your own party and what's going on? And it's like we're constantly turning a blind eye to what's happening because apparently they are the conservatives. They're the ones that really are the patriots of America. And I'm like, "Right, how, child,
0: how? Like, in in what way? I think what to go back to what you guys said. So when I saw him change his vote. I was kind of like, what? But then I was like, what are you pulling? Mm -hmm. But then like immediately after that, another senator was like, wait, what did we just vote on? And I was like, oh no, like they don't even know exactly what they were voting on. He was like, are we voting on one witness or are we voting on a hundred? So then they had to take a quorum to determine what they actually had just voted on, which I thought, number one, why do you vote on anything you're not even sure about? Right, And so at that point, you know, now everyone has to talk about what we voted on. Apparently, this hasn't happened that often. So for number one, it to happen twice in an administration is wild. And then the last one was Bill Clinton. And that was the last time they had witnesses. So really, the only person who was an impeachment manager at that time is Senator Leahy, who was the judge this time. So nobody really knew which way to go, which way was up at this point. So then they have to like take a a, a beat to figure out how to even do it. So, but apparently they have to now do a majority vote on the witnesses, right? So they did a vote to say, can we have witnesses? And then now the sides have to present who they, they want their witnesses to be. And then there has to be a majority vote on allowing that witness, which I thought it was definitely interesting because at that point they called the bluff of Vanderveen, Michael Vanderveen, who got up there and said, Well, if we're calling witnesses, we're gonna depose a hundred people and we're gonna call Nancy Pelosi and Senator Kamala Harris. Mm-hmm. And I was like, Why why mm-hmm. number one, why do we keep bringing Kamala up? Like
2: She's busy now. She's a vice
0: president. She's she's minding her business. Why do we keep bringing Kamala up? Why do we keep pronouncing her name wrong? Chelsea, I have to call you. I have to say it because the people are going to be like, why didn't you correct her? It's Kamala. But there's a difference between people who don't, they don't know that and the people that have worked with her for years and they do know it's pronounced Kamala. Like you're doing it on purpose at this point. But I just thought it was crazy because it's like, you're not going to piss our time away by just calling up any and everyone, just like Lindsey Graham went on, I think it was Fox News, maybe like right before the trial started or like right after it had started. And he said something like, well, if they're going to call witnesses, we're going to call the FBI and this and the third. And I was like, I just think we're dealing with people who don't really know how this works, including the defense team who tried to get up there and say, if we're going to have depositions, then they're going to come to I don't know how he said Philadelphia and why he said it that way, but that was confusing. And everybody laughed at him as they should, because I was like, I don't think you know how this works. Like it's not a criminal trial. Impeachment is not a criminal trial. So it doesn't exactly work the same.
2: Yeah. Cause he was saying it was a civil suit. He was, he was equating it to a civil suit. And I was like, this isn't the same thing at all.
0: Right. Exactly. It's, it's not civil and it's not criminal. It's, it's got like its own rules anyway. So it's just kind of like, and once again, let's bring up the fact that Michael Vanderveen is a personal injury attorney. It's crazy. Who had already sued Donald Trump before and claimed that he was like given fraudulent information. So that's neither here nor there.
1: It's like everything that they do, it just kind of defies like the normal the normal uh, precedence when it comes to succession, when it comes to just expectations and norms, like everything. Right. So exactly.
0: right. And I think someone was like, that defense was definitely for a party of one, meaning they put that together just to make him happy. Yeah. It wasn't to basically, you know, really plead their case it wasn't to change any minds and one they already think they have the vote so it's not really to change anybody's mind but it's also not to make a case it's to make him happy because apparently he was so upset on the first day that he was like yelling at his tv about how terrible of a job they did i would never want anybody defending me and they get up and say, well, we switched our whole strategy because the impeachment managers were so good.
1: Hey, why would you as a defense? You,
0: <laughs> <What>? <laughs> you shouldn't even admit to that information. So, Can we take a step back?
1: I think one, we have to applaud some of those impeachment managers. There were a lot of breakout stars from that impeachment. My God, like, when they walked through that timeline, the visual, a lot to unpack there. So we mm-hmm. talk a little bit about like those impeachment managers.
0: Absolutely. So number one, Nagoose. I cannot remember his first name now, yeah. but Nagoose. Nagoose, yep. And Stacy Plaskett have definitely come out and shown us like what's what. Jamie Raskins is really good too. I had I didn't really know much about him. I remember hearing about him when his son passed uh, at the end of the year, beginning of this year. I remember hearing about him, but he has been so impressive this whole time. Apparently, he's like a constitutional scholar, lawyer, so he knows about this stuff. And I was like, "This, these are really kind of like the best people you could have as managers because they're very well versed in this. And they have been like shutting it down all week. So I really appreciated that. Chelsea, I want to ask you because I know you and I are both from the same county. And Tony, you're also from Southeast North Carolina. So I just think it's so interesting to see the demographics in our counties that actually go red and actually kind of support like this the the last administration. And the things that they do, it kind of blows my mind to see that in such rural counties that are poorer, Mm -hmm. that have higher poverty and all of that stuff. I just like, what's your take on that?
2: I think it's just a lot of like misinformation and I wouldn't say miseducation, but definitely undereducation. Um, you know, I talked to my mama about this all the time because she still lives there, you know, obviously, and she's never been a super political person. And, you know, even just last week, uh, she and I were speaking about, you know, the election and the impeachment. And, you know, she was saying, you know, she was just like, can't we just be done with this already? Just let him go. He's not president anymore. And, you know, and, you know, I was came back with my defense like this is why we should be doing it let's go right (laughs) um and you know and after that she's like well I understand all of that and you know so I think it's like people at home they just kind of have this mindset of you know I I think it's the the conservative mindset of like you know I'm pro this, I'm pro this, and this party aligns with this. N- not saying my mama does that because me and her would have some other beef, but I think that's <laughs> the general feeling. And I think when we talk about things in terms of impeachment and why it's going on, you know, now they're just saying, oh, those leftists, those progressives, they're just, just trying to create more drama, you know, than what we have. They say that they want it to heal the nation, but they're not doing anything but dividing us more. And I'm like, but I mean, mm-hmm. look at the facts. I mean, he did something that was clearly against the Constitution. He incited a riot with his words. I mean, he got banned from multiple platforms for <laughs> doing this. Uh, Interesting. You know, <laughs> but, yeah, like, like, you know, if you're a conservative person, then, you know, like where we're from, Randy, like actions should have consequences. We were raised mm-hmm. very strict, very formal, like, you know. If you have a bad action, you get a bad consequence from your mama, from your family members. I'm like, yeah, exactly. to understand that at the most basic level. So why are we not holding um, the person who's in charge of our entire nation to that same standard
1: you would hold your own kid to? And, you know, what, Chelsea, you made a really, really strong point, too, when you were saying that basically people have the idea of let's move on. Like, why is this important? Like, yes, I get like, you know, the next big legislation we should be focusing on right now is COVID. However, it made me think as well, like this whole insurrection, I never, you know, understood or I don't think that it really impacted me in terms of thinking how fragile our democracy is until that infamous yes. day and the attempted overthrowing of the government. Um, but I think about now in terms of like how important history is, like, I think for so long, a lot of us have not benefited from history because history has just, you know, neglected our our past, you know. Um, but history is very important when they talk about this needs to be, you know, in history, regardless of whether or not we have enough Republicans, two thirds to actually convict Trump. This needs to be in the books. Like this needs to be something that precedent is set. this needs to be something that is discussed from years to come. And this needs to be stories that are shared. These need to be stories that are shared in terms of the you know, problematic chaos that this president has has uh, erected within this, this country.
0: I agree. And I think the crazy thing is, like you guys said, the move on part. It's like, were we alive on January 6th at the same time? How do you move on from that? From and, and I think that's already part of the problem. That's why January 6th was able to happen. Because that's basically all we've done the past five years is move on. He does something crazy. There's outrage. We move on. Like, the Republicans or his supporters make an excuse for it and we move on and we just keep moving on and keep moving on. And it it get and it just everything has compounded one on top of the other. And once again, like I said, those of us who are paying attention were saying, hey, you should stop that. And it was like, oh no, you liberals and you leftists are just crazy and you're just making you're just so radical that you're making everything a big deal. And then we get an insurrection. And it's like, we also should move on from that.
2: Yeah. Five people died.
0: Exactly.
2: Like, and I think that's something we keep brushing under the rug. Like, I mean, five people died from that day. Like, that's not anything to kind of like scoff about. Like, I mean, from the
0: words of our president. Exactly. 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 You guys, this has been a wonderful conversation. Thank you so much for joining me. I really appreciate it, and uh, have a great one. Quick note: as I move into my final segment about impeachment, our roundtable was filmed before the final verdict was delivered for the impeachment. So I will be following up here on my thoughts about the whole impeachment trial this past week. So if you were a conscious person during the past week, you know that the former president was impeached for the second time in a historical second impeachment of the only president to ever be impeached twice in one administration. And it just was as terrible as we all thought it was going to be. Of course he was acquitted as we all expected he would be. With a little bit of drama and some fun sprinkled in, his lawyers were just terrible. Um they gave a pretty terrible performance on the first day to the point that he was very upset and I think they had to get back together and rework their strategy because when they finally presented their case it read just like any other Trump speech or piece of propaganda that he's used in the past 4 or 5 years they even brought videos that looked like they had absolutely been edited by the former president himself it it was just it was just a, t- a sight to behold so on saturday The house managers surprised everyone by asking to have a witness. It was voted on and it was approved. And at that time, the whole chamber had to kind of take a beat because they were not really aware on what to do after that. Once they returned, it appeared that they had reached an agreement that they would just enter the witness's statement into the evidential record without the former president or his counsel objecting to the veracity of the statement. This upset a lot of people (laughs) and I kind of understand why, but I also wasn't that upset by it. Just because if you are watching the news, you are understanding that number one, the team didn't really know what to do after the point that they had gotten a witness agreed upon. And it appears that once they were told that they could have their witnesses, but any witnesses that they had, the other team would have, I think they realized that it just probably was not worth it. The Congresswoman that they wanted to call as a witness would have been a willing witness. But at any other point when any hostile witnesses were going to be called upon, those are witnesses that necessarily were not willing to come and testify or or be deposed because this isn't a normal court. They weren't going to do a normal testimony. It was going to be a deposition On video that would be played for the senators as jurors they would never would have showed up in the court as I understand it so at that point I think they realized it might have really just been too much to open the floodgates of witnesses when they already had the complete statement of what their witness said to prove their case and I didn't, I didn't have a problem with this. Now, many people saw this as the Democrats caving, but I think Stacey Plaskett explained it very well. It just would have become something that could have drug out for not just weeks, but months. Apparently, a witness that was subpoenaed in the first impeachment trial is still basically in litigation over that subpoena a year later. So I think... The impeachment managers felt very confident in the case that they made, as they should. It was a very strong case, no matter how the defense team tried to get up and spin it and just make us believe that our eyes were lying and we can't trust them. The house managers gave and set a really compelling case. I don't really think in Any of our hearts of hearts, we could have watched that and used our common sense and said, no, that they didn't make the case. They did. So much to the point that Mitch McConnell, after voting to acquit, got up and read a statement in which he agreed that the former president was the reason that the mob was there, the reason that they storm the Capitol. He was responsible for all of it, but he just could not vote to convict because he did not feel like they had the jurisdiction to convict a former president. It was a technicality that a lot of Republicans fell back on as a means to say, oh, well, yeah, he might have done wrong, but we just we can't be the ones to convict it because he's no longer a president, which I think is BS. And Nancy Pelosi also thought it was BS because when the House managers were giving a, a short press conference, she showed up. She made it very clear that she had not planned on doing that, but she showed up because she could not believe the unmitigated gall of Mitchell McConnell getting up and reading a statement where he basically says that everything the house manager says was true, that the house managers actually made their case that He believed what they said, but he could not vote to convict because he was no longer a former president, which I think was a definite slap in the face to not only the impeachment managers, but Nancy Pelosi, who got the impeachment done while he was in office. (laughs) He was impeached while he was in office. And he made it very clear to the House and Nancy Pelosi and co that The Senate was going to be in recess. He was not going to bring the Senate back before the inauguration. And had they sent the impeachment article over to the Senate, there would be no one there to receive it. He made that very clear in the days um, leading up to impeachment and at the time of impeachment. So I'm with Nancy. I'm calling BS like. Mitchell, Addison, Mitchell, McConnell, you know what you're doing. You're the reason that there was no impeachment trial while the president was still in office. And you're the reason that those other 43 or whatever senators had a reason to say, no, we can't vote to convict. I mean, we already knew that they probably would have figured out something else, but he gave them the hook to hang their hats on. And for that and a plethora of other things, I would never forgive him. Um, But all in all, nothing about yesterday really shocked me, uh, except maybe the witness part. However, I had been watching the news uh, the night before when it broke. That there was a Republican Congresswoman who had already said more than once that, you know, she was privy to a phone conversation in which Kevin McCarthy attempted to get help from the president and he basically told Kevin to kick rocks. So I was aware of that. I knew that it could change the trial in some way. Uh, I was excited when they decided to call witnesses, but as I started to understand what it would take to get witnesses, I was like, you know what, is it even worth it when we already have a jury of not so impartial jurors who have already decided how they're going to vote regardless? We did see a few Republicans change their minds. Richard Burr of North Carolina shot the heck out of me voting to convict. So That didn't really upset me. I know it has upset a lot of other people. And Jamie Raskins, the lead impeachment manager, also made a point to say, listen, you heard the defense team, you know, when we mentioned bringing in one witness, they are complaining saying that now they want to bring in hundreds of witnesses and depose hundreds of people and including Nancy Pelosi and Kamala Harris and at this point it's going to be a circus and that's not what we want this to be like they worked very hard on their case they made a very compelling case and I- i'm kind of with jamie at this point don't even give them the chance to make it a circus for any longer than it already has last week was very draining it was more so draining to watch the defense team get up and give us a lot of false equivalencies and whataboutisms and completely lie i mean straight up tell lies under oath, which at one point <laughs> Michael Vanderveen, I think it was, asked um, if he was under oath. And it's like, why don't you know that? Right? Any other defense team goes into a court and doesn't know that they're under oath or doesn't know the basic rules of how a court works, they're going to lose their case. You see, many poor people who have public defenders who might not be equipped, who might be overrun cases. And at any point when they're caught slipping in their cases, that person is probably going to have a bad day in court. However, these lawyers didn't really have to give us their best, which unfortunately I I think they gave us as best as they could, but they didn't really have to do much. The The game was already set and they knew that. They did switch up things because once again, the former president was so upset <laughs> with how terrible they did the first day that they did switch it up. But once again, it was mainly for his pleasure and appeasement. They offered nothing good to the case. I did try to watch it with an open mind, but once I saw that they were using you know, footage and rhetoric from the summer when people were fighting in the street for Black lives peacefully, and unfortunately, some violent instances, when I saw that they were using Congress women and their words against them when it came to Black Lives Matter protesters and the uprising we saw this summer, I knew that there was going to be no shame in anything that they said as I watched them put the words of Democrats and cut up videos with no context to fight music but they used Donald Trump's words against like peaceful yoga music I, I knew that w- we weren't going anywhere I, kn- I knew what the game was and it just I, I watched it because I needed to see it but Like I had to give myself a disclaimer that what I was going to see was going to be triggering just so that I could get through it. I know a lot of people said that they just stopped watching because they they just already knew. But I did stomach through it because I felt like, number one, once again, it was a very historic moment in history and I did want to be able to talk about it with you guys. But I would be lying if I didn't say that I'm glad it's over i would be lying if i didn't say that i just want us to move on i do think he deserves to be brought to justice and the only little glimmer of hope that i've gotten since he's gotten acquitted is the fact that mitchell mcconnell i never thought i'd see the day where i said mitchell mcconnell gave me any type of hope but mitch mcconnell in his speech did say you know Okay, he wasn't convicted today, but there's still a court of law out there. He hasn't gotten off the hook with anything yet. And those are very similar sentiments to what Liz Cheney said when she stood 10 toes down in the fact that she voted to impeach. Uh, She also feels the same way. What he did was criminal. I think many of us can agree on that. And so at this point, we're just going to have to wait and see will there be criminal charges brought up against him we know that he is still concerned about the legal challenges he faces he already had six court cases six major court cases you know facing him once he left office and now he's being investigated for the phone call with the Georgia uh, Secretary of State and what he might have done to try to influence or sway that election. So I'm just going to take comfort in the fact that he's going to have authorities on his butt for a very long time. And unfortunately, I still think he's going to be like a resounding voice in the Republican party. And that's something that they're going to have to deal with. The issue is, is that it affects all of us because the louder he is, and the more supporters he has, the more likely we're we are to get crazy nutsos in our United States Congress, and that's just really scary to me, but impeachment is done. Thank all our lucky stars. It just was uh, I just can breathe. That's how I, feel. I can breathe, so. That's a wrap on that. Hopefully, we don't even have to bring it up anymore, but keep working, keep fighting, keep bringing awareness to these politicians. And Once again, I know that people were upset yesterday. I did see people even say that they weren't going to vote in 2022, and I just think that's the absolute worst thing we can do just because you're upset that something didn't go your way. I mean, come on. (laughs) So the Democrats didn't do something exactly the way you want to. So you're just going to not vote. And they're going to allow the Republicans who couldn't even vote to convict a cult leader and a man who incited an insurrection. You're just going to let them keep the power? That doesn't make sense. So I hope you guys have a great week. Thanks for listening to Did You Hear The News?